when the replay official did not stop I, the game. I'm not going to comment on that. I'll get fined for the rest of my life if I get commented on that. We had a great belief in our locker room. We didn't have to do anything special, just be us. I was so proud of this team. We had so much fun, it ought to be illegal. Any idiot can say whatever they want, and they usually do, and they're negative. And all I see, to me, I've gotten to a point now when I see things like that, I feel sorry that those people feel that way, that their lives don't have the purpose, the passion, and the excitement and the enjoyment that some of us do. Our purpose is to win, make no mistake about it, but it's to win the right way. And our goal, our stated goal, is going to be to win the Sunbelt, uh, sorry, to win the SEC East. Talk about the reception you received from the fan, fan base. Did you ever think you'd be kissing and hugging babies at the tarmac when you got up the point? Um, a lot better than another tarmac experience that I had. <laughs> I didn't think of it. It was like, like an anniversary or something like that. We're coming. We're coming. And we ain't backing down. And as my, as the head football coach at South Carolina, my job is to do what I feel is best for the University of South Carolina football program today and going forward in the future. And that's what I did. We wish him well and uh, have nothing but uh, 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 we, we wish him well. Welcome in to the latest episode of that SEC podcast. My name's Michael Braddon. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And I'm flying solo once again. I know I said Cousin Shane would be on this one, but don't turn it off just yet because we got a terrific guest. I think one of the best out there doing college football, podcasts, Twitter. He does it all. Video. His videos are outstanding. Josh Pate, 24-7, host of Late Kick on 24-7 Sports. He's going to join us here in a few and... I got him to hit on uh, just about uh, every SEC team. I think we may have hit on all 14 here. So I certainly appreciate the guests that uh, give us a deep dive on one or two teams, no doubt. But hitting on all 14 teams, that's what this show is all about. So I'm glad Josh was able to do that for us. And he provided some really terrific insight after he and I kind of went back and forth on Twitter. But we'll get to that in just a second before we get to uh, not a ton of news. So a good time to bring out a guest. Shane is going to be on the next one. He's promised this time. We've got a really fun show topic lined up. It's going to be a good one. But that'll be on the next one. Not a ton of news, like I said, around the SEC. Before we get to what we got, found another great clip. Had to share it with you guys. This is Peyton Manning. You'll hear Eli in here too. But uh, Peyton, if you don't know, he's a notorious prankster. Switched David Cutcliffe's iPhone to Chinese. I put Cuckliff's phone in Chinese last night. And Cuckliff was using Siri, trying to get get it out, and Siri was talking in Chinese. Cuckliff was so rattled. He's asking Siri, Siri, please put my phone back into English. How long, how long did it take you to get, get it out of Chinese? Yeah. I got it out after y'all went downstairs. Oh, okay. And then when I came down, Siri, Siri, Siri got it out for you? Yeah, Siri. Siri. All right, so... I don't want to make fun of uh, David Cutcliffe's age because he's still getting it done. A lot better than uh, a lot of these other coaches out here. But, you know, he was struggling. He had to have been struggling. I, I imagine Shane struggling. Imagine how how many hours it takes Shane to get his phone off if it was on Chinese settings. Maybe that's the punishment I'll duel out next time I see him. But I just thought that 
was a terrific clip. Had to open the show with that. But like I said, we got a couple things to hit to, so let's jump it all down to Athens. Bulldogs, sick them! Big news for the Bulldogs. Something, hell, I even kind of, I didn't know this was coming this quickly, but I did kind of hit at it on the last podcast. Kirby Smart talking about the defensive backs and needing to see more and all this, but hey, help is on the way via West Virginia defensive back Tyke Smith. He was an All-American at West Virginia last season. Now he's going to be playing most likely. He's kind of one of these hybrid defensive backs. So not a true corner, not a true safety, not a true linebacker. He's kind of a jack of all trades. He's going to likely play this uh, star position or the nickelback for Georgia's defense. This is big. If you remember when uh, camp opened, they were putting, I believe it was Adam Anderson, the former five-star linebacker, giving him some looks. So, that just kind of tells you where they were at with that position. Now you're bringing in an All-American from the Big 12 in Tyke Smith. And he played, remember, George's new defensive back. Still don't know how to – I'm going to butcher this guy's name here. Jamil Adahi. He coached Smith last season. He came, he came over from West Virginia. He coached the uh, number one pass defense in the nation last season at West Virginia. Now he's got – Star player from that unit, got him in Athens. Still need to develop some cornerbacks, true cornerbacks. Hell, we got the corners at Georgia. They're talented. They got about five or six they can count on. Kirby just hit on it on the last show. It's more about getting those guys up to speed. Now they don't have to worry so much about that star position because Smith's going to come in and be a day one starter. That's a huge pickup for the Bulldogs. I don't want to say things were trending bad because – I'm not jumping off my prediction of Georgia winning the East, favorites in the entire SEC, but you know, with a couple nagging injuries here popping up, now I love to see this in an addition here. That's going to keep that momentum going heading into the summer. And Smith has already, it's official. It's, it's not just a commitment. He's already signed, sealed, and delivered. Georgia's already announced his addition. He'll get here this summer, so he'll get in time for training camp. But big news for the Bulldogs. Speaking of big news, let's jump it all down. Last team to update here. Let's go on down to Tuscaloosa. Roll Tide! Because Alabama's made it official. They've replaced Jay Graham. Remember, he stepped away from the program a couple days into spring camp. And I thought it would take uh, Nick Saban about probably all camp to line up a, a replacement because I don't know how you can be coaching these guys and doing all this media stuff. And we're seeing all these viral comments from Coach, but yet he's Hiring assistant coaches, that's just, <laughs> we already knew Saban was the GOAT, but hell, this man ain't waiting a couple weeks to hire a coach if he can get him now. And they got Drew Schroboda. They hired him off of Memphis's staff, but really he comes from Rice. Last couple seasons, he was the special teams coordinator at Rice. That's the position he's going to hold at Alabama, along with tight ends coach. So he was hired by Memphis in January, I believe. So they not really coach them on the field. But prior to landing at Rice, Schwaboto was a head coach in the Texas high school ranks. He was at Klein Collins, won five district championships, eight playoff appearances, 93-24 and 24 overall record in 10 seasons at Klein College. And that's in Texas. And it additionally... 
According to Alabama, the press release they put out, Schwaboda was president of the Greater Houston Football Coaches Association and was on the board of directors of the Texas High School Coaches Association. Now, why am I mentioning that? Clearly, he's going to have inroads there in the state of Texas for Alabama recruiting. And not that Alabama needs any help anywhere or in the state of Texas for that matter, but you know, you got to remember they lost Jeff Banks to Texas this offseason, went with Steve Sarkeesian and Jeff Banks was kind of their ace guy there in the state of Texas. So down a guy like that, I think that kind of tells you everything you need to know with the direction of this hire. Saban probably wanted to make sure that uh, he had guy, a, a coach here with inroads in that state. And again, it's not like Alabama needs the help, but it's just an extra little feather in Alabama's cap when they head down to the Lone Star State. We all know the talent that state produces. And Alabama's got a number of players on their roster from the state of Texas. Look for that to continue with old Drew Shibota now on staff in Tuscaloosa. All right, so I spieled on long enough here. Let's kick it over to our interview with my man, Josh Pate. All right, we're pleased now to be joined by one of my favorites, Josh Pate. And, of course, he's the uh, National Director of Video for 24-7 Sports and the host of the outstanding Late Kick Show. You can find him on Twitter, Instagram, all that, at Late Kick Josh. Josh, thanks for joining me. I really do appreciate it. I appreciate it, man. It's a, I don't know where in the world you are, like what the weather's like where you are. I mean, I assume you're close to me because we're both Nashvillians, right? So it's beautiful outside today. So I'm kind of standing outside looking for a reason not to go back in. So let's stretch this if you don't mind. <laughs> All right, great. Well, the main reason I wanted to have you on because, you know, I don't want to say we got into like an argument by any means. I, I try to be as civil as I can with people I respect on Twitter, and you're certainly one of those guys. But when you put it out there recently, I, th- this was late last week, you said Alabama, number one program in the West. I don't think there's, there's no point debating that. But number two, you've got entrenched Texas A&M. I think it's LSU, but I didn't I didn't quite understand you meant moving forward, but can you kind of fill in the listeners why why are you so adamant that Texas AM moving forward is in a better position in the SEC West than LSU? Yeah, man. I always, anytime I go down this road or I go down the road of trying to rank the best jobs, I always on my show or podcast, wherever I'm talking about it, I'll slow down to like like times 25 word usage and I'll try and say it really slow and I didn't do it on Twitter. So you saw like a fragment of what I was trying to do, but I'll always say, now, when I give you this list, folks, it's this point moving forward. So it's not like a lifetime achievement award. It's not the last 10 years. If we were doing that in the West, uh, A&M wouldn't tote LSU's job, but I'm talking about moving forward. So what I did was, and I kind of do this every year. I did it with the East like a day before, you know, it was a, perfect example in the east florida had beaten georgia but i still don't really think florida's overtaken georgia it's as a program so the way that i look at this and i know everyone can differ but the way i look at it is like i just said now moving forward and i want to know everything from like administrative synergy to what is what i call your rolling roster which means what do you think what what do i think you're going to have on there next two or three years starting this year your previous rolling recruiting average which is the last kind of two to three cycles and this cycle coming up. I want to know about the caliber of head coach. That's paramount. I want to know about the caliber staff. I want to know, and this is where I think the distinguished 
or the uh, the separation rather from AM and LSU comes into play. I want to know about program stability. And right now I've got that at Texas AM and I don't have it at LSU. And so I think those programs are very comparable roster-wise. I got some pushback on that, but I can back that up if we really needed to go into it. I think they're comparable in recruiting. They've been right next to each other the past three cycles. They're probably going to be right next to each other this upcoming cycle. The opportunities there, like the recruiting base, the finances, the investment, the facilities, all those things are there. So there's no major edge, as far as I can tell, in any of those compartments. But when I got to that stability and I got to the proven track record of the head coach over a long term, I gave decided edges to Texas A&M, and that's why I rolled with Texas A&M. Now, does it would it change your opinion at all? I know it's just a quarterback, but you know that's such an important position moving forward. What if Max Johnson's a breakout star, and Hayes King there at Texas A&M? What if he is? You know, I've I've been given no indication he's a bust, but what if he is? I mean, would that change your opinion at all? It could change, yeah, absolutely. Because this time last year. I would have said the opposite. I would have said LSU is in the driver's seat as the number two program in the West. Uh, at that point, they were coming off a win against Alabama. So, I mean, some people would have probably wanted to argue in maybe the extreme camp, but they would have wanted to argue maybe LSU is overtaking Alabama. I don't think many people were going to say that. But, yes, yeah, certainly this is a year-to-year theme, but I'll kick you one better. So, if I were to go devil's advocate on that one, like you said, we don't really know what Haynes King's going to be. And for that matter, we don't know what Max Johnson or Miles Brennan or anyone down at LSU is going to be. We have hopes, but we don't know. But what if while everyone else is worried about the loss of a multi-year starter at quarterback for AM and Kellen Mond, great guy, great guy to have on a program, great model citizen. What if they upgrade? What if they upgrade at quarterback? Like what if Haynes King ends up being one of those guys that burst on the scene? And so I think about both sides of the coin where I try and land is out of 100 simulations in this season. What's the most likely? I think the most likely thing is, Jimbo Fisher gets a really, really good effort out of whichever quarterback wins the job. I, like you, think it'll be King. And at that point, all the other tumblers for me that I just mentioned still fall into place. Now, this is probably looking way too far down the road. I don't want to ask you the same question, just different quarterback here. But what happens if, say, a young Arch Manning goes, maybe even LSU? I mean, it's kind of the same question. But what if he goes to Ole Miss? Do you think there's a chance Ole Miss – I know this. we're talking way down the line here, 2023, when as soon as he get to campus, but is there a chance Ole Miss potentially jumps both these squads if Arch Manning lives up to the hype and he goes to Oxford? It'd be a game changer. How big would the tidal wave be? I don't know that yet, but that kind of bleeds into the rest of the conversation I had with that whole SEC West hierarchy. To me, and granted, I thought that AM was a pretty solid number two. So that was the first point of contention I had with a lot of people. But once I got past that, to me, the far more intriguing aspect of that argument is try and sort out number four, five, and six. Is it Arkansas? Is it Ole Miss? Is it Auburn? Like that's where it gets really juicy to me. And that's where over the span of one year, we could get so much clarification. Like you just said, what if Ole Miss were to win nine games this year and land the verbal commitment of Arch Manning? How are we talking about the future of that program in this, the context of this very conversation at this very time next year? They, they absolutely could shoot up to number three. I mean, if some crazy things happen, number two, obviously A&M and LSU would have a lot to say about that. Brian Harson walking in the door at Auburn and have a lot to say with that. I think the only program that I left totally out of the conversation was Mississippi state. I thought they were a solid number seven out of seven. So I guess that's only solid if you're looking for um, 
you know, ease of placement. But mm-hmm. outside of outside of Mississippi State, yeah, I think a lot of different a lot of different logos there are in the ball game. Now I think you've already kind of tipped your hand because I was just gonna ask you flip over to the SEC East, kind of same question, Florida or Georgia. I know Georgia's certainly going to have the talent in overall talent recruiting under Kirby, but let's just assume for the sake of the argument that Dan Mullen sticks around and, and is in Gainesville the next couple of years, given his ability to develop a quarterback and, and just how important that is to the sport. Is there, are you giving Florida much of a chance to, to jump Georgia as, as the program to beat in the SEC East moving forward? Sure. Yeah, there's a great chance there. Um, just because I have Georgia listed number one, I mean, I guess, I guess if you were to talk about distance, if you were to talk about on a scale of you know ten to one, I mean, Florida's up there. You don't win the East. You don't beat Georgia without being up there. And they did both of those things last year. I think there's some conventional wisdom out there, which is guided by history, that people expect Florida to take a step back. I mean, it's not often that you have a Heisman Trophy finalist as a quarterback. So they did that last year. Well, here's the important thing to note. Not a lot of people outside of Gainesville, Florida, had Kyle Trask, as these trucks pass me on this interstate, not a lot of people outside of Gainesville had Kyle Trask headed to New York City. And the reason I mention that, even though it's kind of anecdotal, is to just remind people, like you said, when you got a guy that understands how to develop that position, like Dan Mullen, and... He's going to have in his possession a guy who's been on campus several years now, and Embry Jones. That's not even to mention all kinds of crazy things that could happen in an unforeseen manner from the transfer portal. But if we just take it as it is now, there's no telling what he could do with Embry Jones. But also, what I keep looking at here is it's kind of of ancillary. It's not roster-related or anything like that. But if I guess the best way to put it is this. If the only problems Florida has this year – are strictly football related. I think they got a puncher's chance to win the division again, more than a puncher's chance to win the division again. The only or the main concerns that I have for Florida are are extenuating in nature. I don't like, for example, a lot of the bristling and back and forth that they've had down there about Dan Mullen's contract. It just if I'm a Florida fan, so let's pretend I'm a Florida fan for a second. It makes me uneasy. It makes me uneasy to know that that administrative synergy that I was talking so much about that Texas A&M has in their corner that Bama always seems to have. It bothers me a little bit that we don't seem to have that only cause I know they've got it in Athens. I mean, if they don't have it, it never bleeds through. We never see it on the outside. And so I'm thinking to myself, we got to have this in order to compete with those dudes. We got to have this. We saw the confluence of events that we needed last year to beat them. And unless we're going to have that confluence every year, man, we got to really be on our P's and Q's administratively. So that would bother me. And it would also sort of keep me up at night, maybe at least five extra minutes it would keep me up at night, wondering with all those NFL rumors and with the way Dan Mullen carried himself at times last year, and I've had some arguments about this too, but it's my opinion. The way he carried himself last year, some of the comments, some of the offsetting tones that he took at times, I just wonder if he really thought he was out the door after last year and it never happened, that maybe – he had inflated his stock. He and his agent had inflated his stock a lot more in their minds than NFL front office types had. Okay, that could all be BS. If it is, I'm wrong. And if I'm wrong, I'll say I'm wrong. But I don't think we find out about that, maybe ever. But certainly we won't find out about it until the fall unless Dan Mullen just decides to admit that one way or the other. But if we see all of a sudden this year, um, not a return to normalcy, but sort of a return to the pack for Florida, how do we even, 
how do we characterize that? How do we categorize Florida? Because they should be in ascension mode. That's what they should be right now. If you think about the typical trajectory of a program that eventually becomes a perennial playoff contender, they start where Mullen started, and then they keep taking steps, which, to his credit, they have at Florida under Dan Mullen. And then they, they beat the big rival, they win the big game, they win the East or they win the division, wherever they are. And then the next logical step would be perennial playoff contention. But here's the problem. Man, if you and I were sitting here last year and we were talking about Florida and you were to tell me, hey, Josh, uh, I just I saw the spoilers for 2020. Florida's going to beat Georgia. They're going to win the East. They're going to play the eventual national champion closer than anybody the rest of the year will play them. But they're still going to lose four games. I, I would have laughed in your face. I wouldn't have laughed because I thought Florida was incapable of doing one of those things. But it's impossible to do both. How are they going to beat Georgia, win the East, play Alabama to win them a touchdown, and still lose four games? So that's why it feels so strange, and you're still kind of on the fence, even after they accomplished all of the goals, beat the rival, win the division. Even after they accomplished all that, it's, I kind of feel still on the fence about them. Yeah, the best joke I heard after the season, I wish I could take credit. I didn't originally say this, but uh, Dan Mullen managed to go 8-4 and four with the 10-game schedule. So... <laughs> It's amazing. It's truly amazing. I uh, I didn't I never thought about it like that. But yeah, that's a it's it's a it was fascinating mathematically and it was fascinating schematically. Now you're very plugged into the Alabama program, so I really wanted to ask you this because I keep hearing rumblings and I have no idea uh, the validity to these. That's that's why I really wanted to ask you that. Uh, oh, Bryce Young, maybe. You know, it's not a lock that he's going to be the starting quarterback. Hearing a lot of good things about uh, Paul Tyson, you know, assuming that Bryce Young is, you know, let's hope that he's 100% healthy by the time the season rolls around. Is there any chance, based on what you know or what you're hearing, that he is not going to be the starting quarterback for Alabama when they take the field against Miami? No, not realistically. Again, unless, like you said, injury is a factor. I have not heard anything credibly that would indicate anything other than that's his job to lose. And when I say that's his job, I don't mean a 65-35 type battle. I mean a 90-10 type battle. Mm -hmm. And by the way, that's not me knocking Paul Tyson. Paul Tyson, when he got on campus, was not a kid I thought was really going to factor in seriously for any kind of playing time. And maybe he still won't at Alabama. But what I'll say about Paul Tyson now that I wouldn't have said previously is I think that's a guy that could be a starting quarterback for a lot of legitimate Power 5 programs. That's not an encouragement to get in the portal. Really doesn't matter if I encourage someone or not. They do it anyway. But if, let's just say, we looked up and his name was in the portal after spring, and that's not anything I've heard, so it's purely speculative. But if that were to happen and he landed, again, I'm going to pick names out of thin air, at like a Wake Forest or, or a Kansas State, a program like that, programs that are legitimate Power 5 programs, I could see him starting at one of those. I could see him succeeding at one of those places. He has worked his tail off. Uh, he has really developed. Now, granted, he's worked under some of the best to develop the quarterback position. So that's one of the blessings you're afforded if you go to a place like Alabama. But I think that's Bryce Young's job to lose, having said all that. And, and I believe it is solidly his to lose. All right, so we're going into a season with uh, – we got four coaches in the SEC going into their second year, and they all had at least some success on the field. We got Arkansas under Sam Pittman, Ole Miss, Lane Kiffin, Mississippi State at Mike Leach, Missouri with Eli Drinkowitz. You got to name one, Josh. Which coach going into year two at his program is poised to make the biggest jump 
next season on the field? I get a sneaking suspicion it's Missouri. Okay, that's my sneaking suspicion, but I'm still going to say Arkansas. Uh, that is pending them getting quarterback figured out, which you can say about like half of college programs at any given time. But um, so that's my out front answer. I'm going to give you Arkansas as my out front answer. The reason that I'm going to spend more time talking about the dark horse answer is because I don't know if it feels this way to you, but it feels this way to me. Arkansas, once the season got rolling last year, they got a lot of attention. Missouri didn't get a lot of attention because they didn't do as well as Arkansas did. However, I watched them. I think they opened. They opened against some big team. They may have opened against Bama. I remember watching them, and they were a huge underdog. And But I think they, they had an admirable showing in week one. And then if I remember, they were at Tennessee a couple of weeks later and uh, played one of the worst games that you would have seen them play all year. And I really thought that was a team poised to do some things. They kind of got knocked off their track a little bit, and they never got on it. And my mental notes that I kept telling myself last year with Missouri were, this team's better than the record's going to end up showing. Just make a footnote in your mind, because this time next year, they are going to be very undervalued, and that's some property you're going to want to buy. Also, they're halfway to Canada for most people in the SEC, so they don't really stay on your radar if they're not up there doing something like they did you know, under Gary Pinkle in the mid-20-teens, I guess is what we call that decade. So... They're off everyone's radar. I think Drinkwitz is a really sharp guy. He does not have to operate under the same white hot spotlight that you typically ascribe to other SEC coaches. It, it's, a more win, it's a more workable division. I don't know if it's winnable for him, but it's a workable division. So for those reasons, I'm very excited to see what Missouri does this year. And I'll, I'll add one on for you. I know he's not a second-year head coach. It feels like he's been here forever. Mark Stoops is overhauling everything philosophically on offense at Kentucky. And I'll be really interesting to see what he does there because he's got all the equity in the world. He knows he's got his ceiling pressed against or his head pressed against the ceiling right now. They've achieved probably everything they could achieve doing it the way they did it. So he's changing the way they do it. They could crash and, and burn spectacularly or they could all of a sudden break through and get to a new level there. So there's a whole lot of intrigue. We talked about the second level of the SEC West. There's a whole lot of intrigue on the second level of the East this year too. You know, I wasn't, planning to ask you this but you just made me think of something with uh, Mark Stoops there because I've said I think he's got the best contract in all of college football uh, I was pumping them up last offseason I thought they were not a disaster but close to it yet I hear nothing of a hot seat talk if the guy wins seven games he automatically gets a contract extension if he wins 10 he automatically gets a two-year extension so let me ask you that do you think he's got the the best job in, in terms of, uh, you know, never having to kind of worry about his job status here in the SEC? So there are two levels of jobs in the SEC. I ranked them this past year. I had Kentucky in my top six in the entire conference. And people just, some people thought that was ludicrous because they didn't really get where I was coming from. Like, I think Kentucky is an infinitely better job right now than South Carolina. Okay, you could argue about the stature of the programs, but we're talking jobs here. And I don't really think most people who argue against this have, have taken a deep dive into the finer points of the Mark Stoops contract. I mean, not, not only does the guy get rewarded in terms of attaboys and slaps on the back for winning seven games, dude, it's worked into his contract. They're actual escalators when he wins seven games. And that's the benefit of being at a basketball school and doing good things in the sport of football. And then the second part is when I talk about the different tiers, it depends on who you are. If you're Nick Saban, the Kentucky job would not be attractive for you. Okay, Alabama is it. Or, or if you could get Georgia or Florida, LSU, A&M, those, those programs. But if you can't lock one of those down, 
And you're of the mentality that you enjoy the freedom and you enjoy a little bit more balance in your life and you don't have to work 115 hours a week. Man, there is nothing better in the country than the Kentucky job because you get SEC money, you get SEC acclaim, you get to be on that stage, but you also get the relative anonymity of like an ACC job that's not named Clemson or Florida State or something like that. And so you get the best of both worlds. You still get huge money, but you get to operate out of the spotlight a little bit. Mark Stoops can go out to eat. Like Mark Stoops can go for a jog around town. He can do those things. He's not John Calipari. He can do those things. So yes, man, and if you don't believe what we're saying is true, go read Mark Stoops' contract. It is, it's like someone walked up to you and handed you a blank check and some blank pieces of paper and a pen and said, come back to us when you have what you want to work under. All right, last thing for you, Josh. I wanted to hit on the uh, new coaches here in the SEC. We got Brian Harson at Auburn, Shane Beamer at South Carolina, Josh Heupel at Tennessee, Clark Lee at Vanderbilt, which one of those coaches has the most successful year one and which coach is has the most successful tenure at, uh, at the school that just hired him? And if you guys haven't seen it already, you got to go check out Late Kick. Josh did a really good breakdown recently on the expectations for each of these coaches. But so once again, which one is most successful this season and which is uh, most successful for the, for that entire tenure? Do you think? Boy, it, I, you know, yeah, yeah. Like I, like you said, I did a breakdown on this. It was hard because there are no easy answers to me. It's different entry points. So I kind of exclude Heupel from this because his entry point is totally unique unto any of the rest. The rest of them at least know they can see the floor when they walk in the room. Heupel's walking into a house. He can't see the floor. It's totally dark. He has no clue what he's walking into. So the answer is not Heupel. Clark Lee could be the answer if you were making all this relative to expectation at Vanderbilt. I mean, I, I could not believe my eyes when I looked at how many zeros were on the end of that figure that they invested into athletics over there the other day. I mean, that's a deal for a long time, you know, as well as anyone. When you walk in the Vanderbilt facilities and then you go out and do a little tour of Texas high school football, there are high schools in Texas with an edge facility-wise over Vanderbilt. has been for a while. It's a shame. Uh, it's not something that belongs in any major conference, much less the SEC. So that's a longer-term deal, but it's really good that with the hiring of Lee, they've also invested and kind of put the money where the mouth is. So it may be him this year if you factor in expectation. I don't think it's going to be Beamer, only because even if they do have this immediate click and synergy and all that sort of thing, their schedule is a nightmare. And so I think probably the answer would be Harson, But even with Brian Harson being my answer, everybody I talk to in and around sort of that, that sphere, that Auburn sphere, none of them poo-poo the hire. Like very few of them say, oh, I hate that hire. They say, yeah, I'm, I'm on board with it. Like they're willing to get on board with it. He came in there. He wore the orange and blue tie. He said all the right things. So, you know, he sold himself as an Auburn man. But at the same time, they know what they're up against and they know who they just fired, which is the whole thing behind, you know, my, my hesitancy with endorsing the firing of Malzahn. I just, I can't tell you they upgraded definitively over Malzahn. And if you're not definitively upgrading by default, you don't need to make a coaching move. So I, I who would you say? I mean, I, my answer is Harson, but man, you could change my mind in like five seconds if you wanted mm -hmm. to. Man, it's tough. It is tough. I've, mm. <laughs> I think I would go Har Harson as well. I think Shane Beamer has a lot of potential. I don't think that uh, Shane Beamer is going to be very successful this year. And they've really, really 
got to be able to recruit outside this state because I'm not seeing a ton of talent. So if they can manage that, I think he could be kind of like a, almost like a Sam Pittman-esque type hire for That's South it. Carolina. That's it. That's it. That's exactly what they, even if they lose games this year, if it has the feel that Pittman and Arkansas had last year, he's the answer to this question. And then they know, or they, at least they could think solidly that they, they hit a grand slam. They've got a unique cultural fit, which is what you always want in the sport of college football. Yeah. And the only challenge there for me, is theoretically, they, they do well and then they lose a coordinator to a promotion. So now he's got to constantly be replacing those guys, but he's been around the block He's been all over the SEC. He's been to the Big 12. He's been to the ACC. He's got enough contacts to where I've got confidence that, uh, unlike maybe Coach O, where he struggled to hire some coordinators, I think Shane Beamer is going to he's going to find some su- success. You know, identifying those next coordinators that he needs when he hopefully does lose guys to promotions. You know what? I really pull for guys like him. I pull for guys like Pittman. I mean, to be honest with you. I've been one of the biggest uh, supporters of Orgeron because I love at the college level the uniqueness and the kind of nichality, to create a word, of the college game where there are these pieces. Um, I, Jeff Collins could end up being one at Georgia Tech. Clark Lee, like we just talked about, could end up being one at Vanderbilt. These guys that are hired at non-Tier 1 jobs, but because of their specific attachment and affinity to that program, they do view it as a Tier 1, and therefore they're not looking to use it as a stepping stone. And that is so good for building layers into the sport and adding flavor and uniqueness and and culture to the sport because you've got culture fits. And not everyone is Nick Saban. Like, not everyone transcends and could fit anywhere. There's some guys like puzzle pieces that fit in specific places, and I really hope they found the right piece in Columbia. All right, Josh, I've taken up enough of your time. I really appreciate you hopping on. And everyone, you got to go. If you're not already, I assume you are. Subscribe to The Late Kick on with your wherever you get your podcast and on youtube follow josh at late kick josh thanks so much for joining me and, and dropping so much knowledge i really appreciate it i appreciate you brother appreciate you having me on all right just want to thank josh once again for joining the show i thought uh, you know that was outstanding if you haven't already you gotta subscribe to the late kick show follow him on twitter at late kick josh he does an outstanding job there of covering not only the SEC, but all of college football. But, yeah, we all know where – when these outlets are covering college football, we all know where their bread is buttered. He sticks heavily in the SEC. He's got a lot of good connections all around the SEC region and, of course, the whole 24-7 sports network down there. So cannot recommend Josh Moore if this is your first time hearing him. Check out his stuff. He always delivers. And I believe he's putting out shows five days a week. But just want to say thanks again for him joining the show. And, uh, hey, that's all I got on this one. I hope you, uh, hope you guys appreciated this. You know, I'm trying to get these things out more and more as uh, we got news here in the spring because here in a couple weeks, I believe spring games, we got in two, two weekends, we'll have a bunch. And then three weeks from now, we'll have several more. And then things are really going to dry up. So I hope you guys are paying attention. I'm busting it i'm working hard to get you guys this content while it's out there before it all dries up and we sit here and talk about you know odds and preseason magazines and all that so hey if you made it this far you appreciate the content give us that five star written review we really do appreciate that that helps the show grow that's why we ask you to do it and if you do that of course we'll send you a beer koozie 
free of charge just for doing that. Just send those on over to that SEC podcast at gmail.com. Send over those written reviews. Let me know which team you support, and we'll, sh- we'll ship you a koozie right away. So, hey, that's all I got on this one. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Catch you on the next one. And Shane will be back to save me on the next episode. <laughs>